Hey, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here alongside our producer, Josh. Good to see you, Josh. Glad you're having a a good summer. And we have something a little bit special today. We have someone that's uh, never joined us on Sermon Notes before, Eileen Pierce. Eileen, welcome. So you're one of our newest staff members here at Fellowship Fayetteville. We're really excited you're on my team, the community team. So I'm really, really excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your role here at Fellowship. Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah, like Michael said, I'm Eileen. I am the newbie here. I work with the college team, which is super fun. Um, And I get to hang out with college students, uh, live life with them, and uh, work on the team under Josh Barnard. Um, And then we have a couple wonderful staff members in the resident with us this year, too. So you really work in the community space, but with college women. Mm -hmm. So what's that like? Yes, um, it is fun. I'm definitely pretty close in age with them, which I think just adds a a really great relational factor. Um, And I mean, I just stepped out of college. And so the Lord has given me some experiences that I've been able to um, just talk through with them. And it's it's a blast for sure. I love that. Glad to have you on the team. Um, Eileen served as our resident, one of two incredible residents. We had two really good residents. Shout out to Kennedy, if you happen to be listening. (laughs) And uh, we were very excited that um, the Lord made it possible for you to stay and join the team. And now we have new residents. So to our listeners out there, if you see some fresh faces wearing staff name tags, you might take a minute and meet them. But we have a new crop of residents who will be with us for this ministry year. And who knows how the Lord's going to work in their lives as well. So, oh, one more thing I wanted to mention about you, besides the fact that you finished the residency, is um, you are pursuing your master's degree at Dallas Theological Seminary. So excited about that. I am. I'm so excited. I'm doing the MA in Apologetics and Evangelism, which will be incredible. And it's a passion of mine. So I'm pumped that I get the opportunity to do it. Yeah, I am too. That's good. um, We're always looking to raise our biblical knowledge and theological acumen, not just on the staff, but among the people of fellowship. That's one of the reasons we do this podcast is because we all want to be lifelong learners, which sets us up well for this next section of the John series. And so over the last 14 weeks, we spent seven weeks looking at the I am statements in John. And then we spent seven weeks looking at the miracles or the signs that Jesus does in the book of John. And I really feel like those I am statements were just a strong picture of the deity of Jesus, Mm -hmm. that every time Jesus says, I am, he is drawing a straight line from himself to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament. Jesus is Yahweh made flesh. And then he vindicates that through these signs, and he does these signs that indicate that only Yahweh, only the creator God could do these things. Now we're in this encounters series. So Eileen, what are we going to be looking for as we move into this next section of this teaching? Yeah, I'm really excited for this next section. We are going to be looking at Jesus in the way that he interacts with people in in the Gospels. Um, And so this week we'll be talking about Nicodemus and upcoming weeks, um, others. And next week will be Woman at the Well, um, which will be very exciting. But um, just through these encounters, we'll be able to ask questions like, you know, how is Jesus treating these people? And, and how are they walking away changed? And so it'll be a really great uh, dive to, to get into. Yeah. And the thing that really amazes me about just the gospel message, who Jesus is, and it's illustrated in this approach to this book, the great I am, 
the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the creator of everything. He spoke everything into existence. He has power over disease. He has power over demons. He has power over nature. He walked on water. He has power over sin and death. And yet, he's so personal. And we're going to see that each one of these encounters, they're very personal encounters. He doesn't have a script. He doesn't approach each person the same. He meets people where they are. He gets straight to their heart needs. Um, and then, like you said, they're never the same after they've had this encounter with him. And so just for us all as, as students of the Bible to take a moment and appreciate how amazing it is that the Creator God took on flesh and then interacted with individuals that he created um, and that he continues to do that with us today. It's amazing. It just it gets me excited about following Jesus. Mm, yeah. And the fact that we have these scriptures to look to and see as an example for how Jesus treated these people and how we can treat our brothers and sisters as well. That's yeah, really great. That's so good. We don't have to say, I wonder how God would handle this. We can look at what Jesus did and say, here's how God handles this. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the passage. Um, just uh, for clarity or for people to understand um Eileen's role here, uh, you're going to be teaching this to our students. And so our 7th through 12th graders are going to get to benefit from your study as you teach this. And then I'll be teaching this in the adult service. And so we've both been studying this passage and processing it together and preparing to teach it to two different audiences. And of course, we always start with the text and then we consider the audience and, and who we're talking to as we prepare a message. So we both are starting here in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Eileen, what do we know about this guy, Nicodemus? Yeah. Um, so we know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he's a member of the Sanhedrin, um, which is a, a specific group of, I think it's about 70. Is that right, Michael? That's right, yep. Yeah, 70 um, men who are um, teaching the law uh, to these Jews. Yeah, they have this... It's a theocracy, really, in Israel, and so they're they're under Roman oppression, and yet Rome's style was to let local leaders handle local affairs, and they they did that in Israel. And so for hundreds of years, there's two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they have theological differences, but there's one thing that unites them, and that's their desire to see Israel remain a nation. And They're the rulers, and uh, that's why it says he's a ruler of the Jews. They were on this ruling council that served as both the religious court, but also handled secular affairs and made secular decisions, always at this time under the watchful eye of Rome and Caesar um, back in Rome and, and the people like Pilate that he had appointed over them. But as far as in the Israeli or Jewish social and political structure, Nicodemus would have been near the top. I mean, Jesus says in verse 10, you're a teacher of Israel. And so that indicates that not only was he on the Sanhedrin, he was probably a leader of the Sanhedrin. And so this is a high official coming to talk to Jesus. Um, What do you think is motivating this visit based on what he says in the text? Why do you think Nicodemus even wanted to talk to Jesus? Yeah. Well, at this point, Jesus, he's starting to stir up some things among the Jews, and people are starting to ask questions. People are starting to see um, Jesus do some pretty incredible things. Um, and so at this point, Nicodemus, I mean, he he's wanting to come to Jesus and and figure out who he is and what he's doing. And um, I think it's pretty interesting that he came to him at night um, to ask these questions. And so I think that's something that we'll be getting into a little this week, Michael. Yeah. um, I, you know, most commentators agree. He probably came at night because he didn't want to make a big 
spectacle, you know, if a, even today, um, if the governor's in town and he goes to talk to somebody, everybody's going to be like, whoa, I wonder what the governor was doing there or at that church or in that guy's office. And so um, Nicodemus probably didn't want to draw a lot of attention. The other thing that they'll, all the commentators will point to, and it is interesting, is how John uses day and night. And it's actually in the passage. At the end of our passage today, Jesus talks about um, men love darkness and the works of darkness. And so dark and light is a theme um, as we study the book that we want to keep an eye on. And so Nicodemus, John tells us he came at night because he came at night. Like, be clear about that. But in the context of the book, it also is probably a picture of Nicodemus' confusion, um, his own darkness as far as just a lack of understanding of Jesus and the gospel. And Jesus goes right at it. You know, Nicodemus comes in, he calls him rabbi, which he didn't have to do. Jesus didn't have any formal training. He hadn't been um, recognized. He didn't He didn't have his DTS masters. Um, and of course, we know that Jesus knew everything because he is God made flesh, but Um, Nicodemus didn't understand that yet, but he calls him rabbi. He says, we know you're a teacher come from God. And then Jesus just gets right to it. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you think he's driving at there with Nicodemus? Yeah, well, I think um, just this kingdom of God language is really interesting. Um, Just in in the study over the last few weeks, um, asking, hey, what does the kingdom of God mean to these Jews? Um, At this point, they're waiting on their Messiah. They're waiting on this Messiah to come in and and relieve them of this oppression. And so the idea that they have in their mind is is this king on a white horse who comes in and and overthrows Rome, who's oppressing them right now. and so Jesus steps in and he kind of throws Nicodemus off. I mean, he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Um, and so I think this might be a little um, caveat that Nicodemus wasn't, he, he wasn't expecting. What is this born again language that Jesus is going to be using? And so he he pushes further into it, into, um, you know, surely... Uh, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked in verse four. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Um, And Jesus goes on to talk about how no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of of water and spirit. And flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so, Michael, uh, you and I were talking earlier about um, a couple different views on this. So I'd like you to go ahead and state your opinion on what this flesh and what this spirit language is going on about. Yeah, this is a classic example of Jesus says something that when you first hear it, you must be born again. Um, yeah, we're, we're familiar with that language. Being born again is kind of part of our 20th, 21st century Christian culture. Um, we're all comfortable with that. This would have been shocking language for Nicodemus. There had never been this kind of teaching um, of a rebirth, um, a new birth, a second birth. And, you know, some commentators are... They're kind of hard on Nicodemus, and they say he was self-righteous, he was smug. Um, Maybe I'm being a little too charitable here. I think Nicodemus actually knows he needs a second birth. I don't think when he says, how can a man be born when he's old? I think he's saying, if only, Jesus, if only, I've spent my whole life doing my very best to follow the law, and if I'm honest with myself, I know how often I failed. Man, who wouldn't want a new birth. Who wouldn't want a fresh start? Um, and I think that's why Jesus leans in and says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And so um, 
for the last few decades, if you had said to me, and I said this in a worship meeting here at Fellowship Fable a few weeks ago, what does it mean when he says one is born of water and of the Spirit? I would have said it's the physical birth and spiritual birth. I've always kind of held that view that um, what happens before a baby's born, the water breaks. And so unless you're born physically and then reborn spiritually, you can't enter the kingdom of God. But over the last few weeks, as I've read and I've studied and I've thought about this, Eileen, um, I think he's actually, like I said earlier, meeting Nicodemus where he's at. He's coming to Nicodemus with this Old Testament language. He knows Nicodemus has spent his entire life studying what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And I think he's actually referencing, there's three here, um, Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 36, Joel 2. I've got um, Ezekiel 36 pulled up here. And in that passage, beginning in verse 25, Jesus, or the Lord speaking here, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you. And so I think he's actually tipping Nicodemus off. This long promised, we call it the new covenant, where sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit dwells in God's people, this water is a picture of that, that, that God had said um, in the time of Ezekiel, in the time of Isaiah, in the time of Joel, I'll sprinkle you with water. And so I've actually, as I studied, changed my mind about what Jesus means here. And if someone came to me and said, no, I'm pretty convinced um, that it's somebody born of, that born of water means a fleshly birth and then a spiritual birth, I wouldn't argue with them and I wouldn't tell them they're wrong. Um, and I do think every passage has one meaning. Um, but this is just a good example of how we can we can read a passage, pray about it, think about it, and maybe disagree, and maybe change our mind. And I think that's one of the things we see in the passage today is Nicodemus, he's got more theological training than anybody in Israel, probably. And Jesus is challenging him to change his mind, to view things in a new way. And I think as students of Scripture, we need to be willing to do that same thing, to come to the Bible and say, I've always thought this, but maybe it's that, or, or listen to the Holy Spirit as he challenges us on some maybe some assumptions we have or things that we've always thought that maybe under further scrutiny aren't right. Yeah, I think that was really well said, Michael. Um, as for me, I think I'm still on that flesh train and um, being born of the flesh and then having that that birth in the spirit. Um, and I think that because I think Jesus, as we see him throughout the gospels, he takes this idea that they know and then he pushes it further, um, right? I mean, I'm thinking of um, Matthew 5 through 7, his Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about adultery. And, um, you know, he pushes the idea of adultery further when he talks about um, ripping your eye out if you even look at a woman lustfully. Um, but I think just going back to this passage and um, this this imagery of the physical um, the, the physical world and then this spiritual transformation, I think that kind of plays into further along in the passage when he's talking about the spirit and he's talking about the wind um, and using those those physical things that we can see and feel on this earth um, and then seeing them in a, a spiritual light. And so I don't know if you're going to be talking about that on Sunday, about this idea of wind and spirit, but can you tell us a little bit about that today? Yeah, sure. You know, one thing I do want to point out, um, verse 7 he says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And 
people who've heard me teach at Fellowship before probably know what I'm going to say. That you is plural. Mm-hmm. We don't have a plural you in English, so it kind of disappears. He's not saying you, Nicodemus, individual. He's saying y'all. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to be born again. Um, and I think that really changes how we read it. He says, don't be amazed when I say that all of you need to be born again. Then he says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. This is a great image of just the spirit at work. Um, people around us might not understand what it means that we've been born anew and that we're following Jesus, but they should see the effects and they should say, man, she's like a different person. She used to be so angry or she used to be so jealous or she used to be so fill in the blank and now she's not. What's the deal with that? It's the spirit and the spirit observers don't see where it comes from and they don't see where he goes, um, but they see his work in our life. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making here um, is that um, we may not understand how the Holy Spirit operates, but we definitely see evidence of him all around us in people's lives. And in verse nine, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. And I love, I've got a whole sheet here of contrasts that I've noted in John three, but one of them, one of the contrasts is in verse two, Nicodemus says, we know. He comes in really confident. Verse 10, Jesus says, you don't understand even this. And so Nicodemus doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Okay, so Michael, going on to this second part of this passage, it seems like um, there are two different structures to this. You see this dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus, and then we get past verse 10, and what's going on here, and what are you going to be talking about, or maybe leaving out on Sunday? Yeah, so um, he kind of chastises Nicodemus a little bit, and he says, um, listen, we know what we're talking about, and you know, commentators are split. Is he speaking in Trinitarian language? Is he speaking in a royal we? Is he speaking of him and his believers? I don't really know the answer to that. Um, But he says, if you can't even understand this, how are you going to understand when I tell you heavenly things? And then he says, no one has been to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the son of man, which is a reference to Daniel 7. And uh, Jesus is referring to himself as this son of man figure that again, Nicodemus would have been familiar with. Jesus doesn't use this kind of language with the Samaritan woman at the well. She wouldn't have had any context for it, but he knows what Nicodemus knows and understands. And so he's drawn this parallel to himself. And then he goes to an even deeper cut, if you will, in the Old Testament, um, an even more obscure passage, Numbers 21, when he refers to the serpent, this serpent that Moses made, a brass serpent. And when people looked at it, they were healed from these bites, from these venomous snakes. And Jesus says, I'm like that. People who look to me for healing will find it just as they did in the desert. It's really an interesting illusion for Jesus to make. But again, he knew that Nicodemus would get it, would be familiar with that story. And he wants him to see that that story was always pointing to him, the real Savior, the eternal Savior. Yeah. I think too, and Tell me if this is a stretch, but I love that John um, 
just recorded this this about the the serpent in the wilderness um because when i think of that story back in numbers 21 i just i think of moses holding up a serpent and how that just that throws me off right it's yeah. it's a serpent that's not the what serpent's we would been bad since genesis 3 what exactly. are we doing here yeah exactly and so now we're here we're we're with the gospels and we have jesus who we know is our messiah um but he's someone who's so unexpected to the jews he's not mm. the type of person that they would expect. And so I drew that kind of. That's a great insight. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes faith, right? In both cases, it takes faith that something so unexpected is going to actually lead to our healing. So Eileen, let's just press briefly. um, We're about out of time here on sermon notes, but man, there's so much more in this passage, including probably the most famous verse in the whole Bible. And I know as we were talking about the passage, you said um, that the second half of this passage is really the gospel explanation. Um, Tell us what you're thinking about on that. Yeah. Well, I think going into Sunday, um, some people might be tempted to check out and just knowing, oh, we're going through John 3. I mean, we've heard this, right? For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son. Um, But I think, man, this is, just like you said, Michael, this is the gospel. This is God's salvation plan. Um, And I've read a couple different commentaries on this, and some think that this is still Jesus going into this dialogue, but I think it's there's a little bit of a turning point where some people think it's it's John kind of giving a summary of what happened. Um, so whether or not these are directly from Jesus's um, mouth, these words, um, but I mean, I think regardless, this is the the main point of Jesus coming. It's it's that we believe, and oh my goodness, we see the word believes uh, multiple times from verse ten down, um, and even I mean that's the the theme of this gospel, right? That John is giving us. He's saying, hey, to whoever believes, that's who's going to have eternal life. Um, and that reminds me too. Oh gosh, you're going to have to let me know where it is, Michael. Um, but I think it's later in John, and um, that this is eternal life that they may know me, the one true God. Where is that, Michael? Yeah. Um... I'm thinking of, I don't know if this is the one you're referring to, Mm -hmm. but all through this series, we have continually gone to John chapter 20, verse 30, where it says, um, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the one that Mm -hmm. I think of. But all of this is to point us to belief. Mm, Yes. Yeah, that's so good. Um, And I mean, yeah, like I said, I think this is just so important. And I, I think it's something that we shouldn't just glaze over because we've heard it so often in our lives. I mean, there's a reason for that, right? And so I would just encourage everyone, myself included, to just really meditate on these verses these upcoming weeks. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great place to leave it. Um, You know, one of the things that we're going to talk about on Sunday in the adult services, it was Augustine, um, one of the church fathers. He lived in the third century after Jesus into the early into the fourth century. He said, um, the, the Bible is shallow enough that a child can wade into it and not drown but deep enough that an elephant can swim. And so this passage is a perfect example of that. A child can understand John three sixteen. Parents, share it with your children. You'll be surprised the spiritual insights that your children might have if the Holy Spirit's at work there. And yet we can spend the rest of our life. I mean, I just confess that something I believed for four decades, I changed my mind on after some study, that th- 
the implications of the gospel and what it means for us as believers and followers of Jesus, we can never exhaust that. That is a bottomless well of life-giving water. And so um, that's a great place to leave it, Eileen, um, is for us to not take for granted. Oh, John 3.16, I memorized that when I was eight years old. Um, but to really think about that and, and what follows in 17.18 and the rest of this little section down through 21 and what it means for us as followers of Jesus. Well, Eileen, thanks for joining us. Great insights. Appreciate the work you put into the passage. And um, to our listeners, um, I hope you'll be able to be with us in the student service or the adult service, or maybe listen to both on the podcast. And we'll see you back here next time on Sermon Notes.